I got it. You ready? All right, this evening is February 10th, 2010. Our message is all in or all out. And uh, we're going to be in the 47th chapter of Genesis. Uh, a fairly familiar story that I think uh, you might not have looked at in this way in the past. And I'm hoping that it will stir us all to action. We've had a very strong revolutionary theme this year. We've taken a new, fresh perspective on many of the scriptures. We have considered the fact that among the world's population, we are probably the rich young ruler that Jesus spoke to and said, go sell everything. We have pledged in our hearts not to build bigger barns, uh, only to have death sneak up on us and us not have done what we should do. We have looked deeply at how to stay in step with the Spirit. Uh, we looked at the enormity of the problem that faces us. Well, tonight we're going to return to some basics. We've talked about action-based Christianity and deed-based evangelism and all of those things that are very important to do. But you can do none of it if we don't get this message right. So, as we look at Genesis 47, we're going to start in the uh, 13th verse. Fair enough? Okay, to lay the background for this, we have already had uh, Joseph sold out by his brothers, uh, become the head of Potiphar's household in Egypt, falsely accused, although blessed by God, attacked, falsely accused, and imprisoned. During the time he was in prison, he heard accurately from God and interpreted dreams, but was forgotten. But then the Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret except Joseph. Joseph steps forward, gives the interpretation. He is called Zaphonoth Paneah, Savior in the Egyptian tongue. He is given a ring that signifies all Pharaoh's authority invested in him. He is given a new foreign bride. He is raised above the entire world and only with the throne in respect, was Pharaoh greater than him. In other words, he was kind of de facto Pharaoh. When you looked at him, it was like looking at Pharaoh. This is a familiar shadow and type. It's something that we can look at and see Jesus. Well, I want to move past the years of plenty. During years of plenty, it is difficult to see who belongs to God and who doesn't belong to God because there's plenty to go around. We're moving now into the years of severe famine that came upon the whole world. Starting in the 13th verse. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe, both in Egypt and Canaan, wasted away because of the famine. No food anywhere. The two major regional and world powers were literally... Wasting away. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying. Do you recall that Joseph had built storehouses? Uh, Pharaoh declared that this idea was so magnificent that only a man in whom God's Spirit dwelt would have this idea. He built storehouses so that he could make provision for everyone during the coming years. One man in whom God had invested so much, 
that he could save the world through his efforts. Well, now the world is in need of saving. And in Egypt and in Canaan, Joseph collected all available currency in payment for food. That's a lot of money, isn't it? All that there was. There was no currency left in the land. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is used up. One of the things that is important on the topic of lordship is as long as you have your own resources, as long as the people still had something with which they could purchase for themselves, something with which they could earn for themselves salvation, they only had partial need for Joseph. They could do for themselves, and what they couldn't do, they hoped Joseph would help them. This is how many approach the Savior of the world today. Lord, I will do for myself what I choose to do. And anywhere that I fall short of helping myself, I ask for your help. I am Lord in every area except the areas that I'm not good at, and in those areas, please be my Savior. Joseph let the famine, God let the famine get to a place where all currency was now in Joseph's hands. Where do you think the American church would be if all the currency of just the church was in Jesus' hands. We have trouble with the idea of even 10% being in Jesus' hands, much less all the currency. Let me ask you something, though. Aren't we fond of saying that everything I have belongs to the Lord? That's fine, until He asks you for it. Then you find out where your attachments really lie, don't you? Same here. He's been challenging me in these regards. I have planned trips this year that I don't know how I'm going to pay for I've told everybody that I'm going in this country and those. Today, on my way to do something else that I did not have, but I knew was God's will to do, I got a phone call and I just got the first $3,000 for the India trip that I need. Our God requires us to put everything we have at His disposal. He even requires you to put what you don't have at His disposal. I want to submit to you an idea today before we move forward that if all that you have in your financial resources is not at His disposal, He is not yet Lord of all of your life. How much rebellion would you tolerate if you were king in any one person? If you owned your car and 10% of your car would not do what you told it to do, how pleased would you be with your ownership? 50% of your car. 90% of your car. The famine caused the people to do something. They invested 100% of their financial resources in their Savior, Joseph. Unfortunately, they had more than just financial resources. 
Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying. And he brought, brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is used up. In this moment you have a revelation. The revelation is your great financial resources cannot, will not save you. In fact, your possession of them may do nothing more than illustrate that you are not completely vested or invested in the kingdom of God. Putting all that you have in His hands shows that nothing that you have is in your hands. They still needed food even when their money was gone. Now watch. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and their goats, their cattle and their donkeys. He brought them through that year with food in exchange for their livestock. They could say that Joseph was Zaphonoth Paneah, but the truth is they still had cows they could kill and eat. They still had horses that they could ride and work with. They still had sheep that they could shear. They still had resources outside of Joseph's control, so Joseph was only partially Savior in their lives. You following me here? We're tracking? Right. So Joseph said, Bring me all of your livestock. Does that sound cruel? Doesn't it sound kind of manipulative? Like selling plywood in a hurricane. He knows they have need. It's a famine. They need food. He has food. Why did he have food and they didn't? He was obedient to God. And they weren't. So God had made one man the source of salvation. The only obedient man in all of the world had made one man the source of salvation for all men. But what is required for one man to be a source of salvation for all men is that you give up rulership of your life and place it in his hands. So he started with their money, the last place that Christians start. Then he moved to their livestock, their belongings, their vehicles, their possessions, the second to last place Christians start. I have watched people cry profusely over the thought of giving their favorite chair to someone who had no chairs, even though they had many. How does that work in your in Christ? How is that possible? How many of you have more than one TV set in your house? Mandy is the only one with more than one TV set in her house. Church, I asked a question. I, I'm hoping that you're awake tonight. How many of you have more than one TV set in your house? Which one would you give away if you had to? I bet it's not the plasma, huh? Could you find a better example of a glowing idol in your life than a TV set that poured in to your life things that God would never want there? And you stare at it. And if he asked you to give it away, how would you do with that? I'm not against TV sets. I'm really not. But somewhere in this message, whether it's money or livestock or the other things we're getting to, we need to uncover every area that is even suspect for not being completely invested in the kingdom of God. If it is painful for you, if it is, somebody once honestly told me, net or gross, I, that is the funniest question I've ever gotten. How do you explain net or gross to farmers? I get this question all the time as if pastors uh, have a tax guide for tithing. It's a heart issue, saints. 
But I got asked this question, and when I explained it, the brother looked at me in all seriousness and said, I've got to be honest, that's hard. Hmm. Well, lordship is hard. Every bit of it is hard. If it's not hard, you're still lord. So they brought their livestock and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, for their sheep, for their goats, their cattle, their donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone, our livestock belongs to you. There is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Our bodies in our land. Which order do you think they wanted to sell those in? I bet it's not bodies land. I bet it's land bodies. Well, let's keep reading. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well. Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. Did you hear their reasoning? We don't want to die. You have life. He had life when the famine started. They had death and didn't even know it. I want you to hear this. They were dead already. You know why? Not all the money, not all the livestock, not all the land, not their very lives could purchase for them what they needed to get through the famine. The only thing that could purchase for them what they needed to get through the famine was to make Joseph their Lord and do whatever he said. But how long has it taken them to get to that place? Well, first they had to get to the end of their money. Then they had to get to the end of their livestock. Now the end of their land, and they will pledge their lives. What an interesting place. How many of us are in the same position? We call Jesus Zaphonoth Paneah, our Savior. But it is only when we've gotten to the end of our land, when we've gotten to the end of our money, when we've gotten to the end of all of our resources, that we're willing to do what He says do. And then we call other people's religion jailhouse religion. Why is that? Lord, I believe You're my healer. But I only believe that when the surgeons have given me no hope. At the end of my resources. Lord, I believe you're my provision, but I only believe that when my credit cards are all maxed out. When I borrowed money from everywhere I can and nobody will co-sign. That's when I believe it. Lord, I believe that you're my Savior, but only when I've gotten caught in horrible sin. Wouldn't it be better to start with your life and work down? Wouldn't it? Yes. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. I can't tell you how many people cannot accurately discern the times. I've had more discussions with people today that were on their way to hell and did not realize that they were on fire. They had not yet felt the severity of the famine. They did not know that they did not have what it would take to survive. Their only hope was to go to Jesus and put everything they have in His hands. But instead... They blame everyone around them. They talk about what they still have that's of worth. And they refuse to submit to His Lordship. That's a sad position to be in. The land became Pharaoh's. And Joseph reduced the people to servitude. 
He wouldn't have had to reduce them to servitude if they had pledged it from the beginning, but they didn't understand what was coming until it was upon them. Why is this book written? It's written that you might know what is coming, and you might react to it before it comes upon you. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why he did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you. Tell me, saints, we sing the songs that say we were purchased at a price. But has he really gotten all the way to where he bought you if he does not have your money, your livestock, your land, your family, and you. See, we have this order backwards. We say, Lord, you have me. <clears throat> but uh, my kids are going to do what I want them to do. They're going to be in the occupations I want them in, go to the schools I want them to, irrespective of your will for their life. Because I know what's best for them. Lord, you have me. But my cars and everything of worth, and I, I mean, therefore, me. No one else. Me. I know that guy doesn't have a car, and I have three, but therefore, me. Lord, you have all of me, but I'm having real trouble giving you even 10% of the money that is in my house, much less offerings and things above that. In fact, I think what I will do is I will give you whatever is left over after I haven't paid everything. Oh, nothing left over. I guess you don't have all of me, Lord. The excuse is always the same. Always the same in any one of these areas. It is an issue of lordship. People sit in front of me and they say, He is my Lord, and then they describe ways in which He is not their Lord. See, I will do what He has said when this and this happens. That's not lordship. God puts us in positions where He begins to take from the smallest area of our life. What was the smallest area? Money. And move to the greatest area, personal ownership of even our bodies. And he becomes Lord of every area. This process is called sanctification. This is him becoming Lord of you all in all. Not just a pledge, it is actually happening. And it is so much easier to say it's done than to live like it is. But he put them in a position where everything they had was his. Does that sound like they are destitute? It does, doesn't it? They have nothing of their own. They have no lives of their own. They have no will of their own. They have no resources of their own. Who has it all? Joseph does. A hundred percent of everything that they have belongs to Joseph. Look at verse 25. Their declaration when in that position was, You have saved our lives. An amazing revelation comes. When everything you have belongs to Him and you have nothing that belongs to you, you belong to Him. He purchased you. He takes care of you. See, the truth is, is all of those things were a deception. They were all ways in which they could provide for themselves, but could they really? No, they were all exhaustible resources. And yet, giving all of them up made perfect provision for them because Joseph was the only one that had the resources to do it. Man, 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 if the church could get this message. You don't have anything of any value. It will not take you through the famine. It will not keep you alive in the famine. 
The only thing that keeps you alive in the famine is yielding everything you have to the Lord of the universe. And that, most assuredly, will keep you alive in the famine. I think the way Jesus said it was in Luke 9. Go with me there. Are you all mad at me? No. In Luke 9, let us read the 23rd verse. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. How interesting that the pathway to following Jesus starts with taking away from you even self. How do you begin to deny yourself? All money, all livestock, all land, all family, everything that you have belongs to Him. Deny Himself and take up His cross daily and follow Me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Me will save it. I want to submit to you the idea today that when you hold back something in your life for yourself, you are not sharing Joseph's fate. Understand this. You are not in Joseph's hands, and whatever happens to Joseph happens to you. Because you have kept something. Like a ship that was sinking, rather than just submitting to the one lifeboat everybody is on, you've kept a flotation device for yourself. Well, friends, if that's the case, it better float well. Because it's all you have. Jesus said, if you are hanging on to your life, you are going to lose it. But if you lose your life for Him, He will save it. See, when they had nothing except Joseph, whatever happened to Joseph was going to happen to them. And God had already determined He would exalt him above everybody else on the planet. Who else do you know like that? As long as you have something besides Jesus, you are not sharing the fate of Jesus. You've got your own flotation device in the flood. How about the Noahic flood? The people had a choice. They had a choice between self-sufficiency and an abandonment of all self, placing their bodies, lives, wives, everything that they had at the mercy of Noah. And was it right? What did they choose? They chose to go it alone and not one survived. But everybody that placed their whole life inside of that ark, not just part of their life, not just one leg, but their whole life in the ark, experienced total salvation. Look at John 12 with me. In John 12, also... The 23rd verse. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. 
I want to tell you that the first thing that is required for serving Jesus is the abandonment of everything that you call yours. Your dreams, your vision for the, your future, your thought as to what is right and what is wrong. For instance, give me the top of the mind response. Is it wrong to kill someone? Yes, no. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Boy, people are not going to like this. Then why was Saul punished for not killing Agag? Because he disobeyed. But I thought it was wrong to kill someone. It is not wrong to kill Agag if God told Saul to kill Agag. So how good are we at determining what is right and what is wrong? We had 100% failure on the first question. You understand what I'm saying? Our moral compass is not aligned to God's truth. There are certain general principles. Yes, generally it is wrong to kill someone. Right? Are there exceptions to that rule? Of course there are. In fact, capital punishment's endorsed in the Bible. Anybody that says differently has never read it. So is it wrong to kill someone? The answer is it depends. How do you know then? You better be in touch with the Lord of the universe and everything you have. Be in His hands. Is it wrong for a soldier to kill someone? Hmm. These deep moral questions, why don't we just make a rule book? You understand what I'm saying? We are either all in... <laughs> Or, we might as well be all out. How about this? We start with their money. We moved to their livestock, we moved to their land, until even their families and their very bodies were in Joseph's control. What do you call that? They are 100% in his kingdom. They were 100% in their kingdom. Well, let's back up. What were they when only their money was there? Well, they were one-fourth in his kingdom. What were they when their money and their livestock were there? Well, they are about 50% in his kingdom. What would you call 50% warm water? Lukewarm water. You cannot abide in Christ halfway. Now, we, we think, oh, well, that's talking about somebody out there who says they're a Christian and lives like hell. No, that's not lukewarm. That's cold. Lukewarm is the one that is with Jesus in this area and this area, but not this one and this one. That's lukewarm. Lukewarm is about half hot and about half cold, so that it's neither hot nor cold. Now where do you think we can apply that name tag? I'm happy they're not appearing around the room. Might have one on my neck. I don't want to be spat out of his mouth. Is it only a gradual process to get all in? Is it not a gradual process to get all out? How about this one? Turn with me to Exodus 10. All in, all out. In Exodus 10, we're going to pick up in uh, the 10th verse. Before we read it, though. Before we read the 10th verse. God has called all of these very same people that He put in Egypt, 400 years later, He's calling them out of Egypt. Was it right for them to be in Egypt? Yes. So why are they leaving? Because now God has said, leave Egypt. What was right for you yesterday is only right for you as long as God tells you to do it. Now God has the right as the sovereign of the universe to say, I know I placed you here, but now it's time to go. If you are not doing what God says to do in some area, even though it was right 20 years ago, you are not right now. 
Your standing with Him is based upon obedience and trust in Him. And you are not trusting Him and are not obedient to Him if you are not obedient today. Boy, that's a hard word, isn't it? So now, although they were once told to go to Egypt, God in His sovereignty says, I want you out of Egypt. Anything that stands between you and what God has told you to do is an enemy of God. So while Pharaoh in the shadow and type in the first story was a benevolent Pharaoh who was like God, and Joseph was a servant, here Pharaoh is going to stand between God's people and what God has told them to do. What has God told them to do? Make an exodus. Right? And God has begun to show His power to the people to make an exodus. And what does Pharaoh say? Verse 10. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking to do. God wanted all of Israel out of Egypt, but what was the devil's response? No, only let the men go. I'm just curious. In our previous example, we started with money. Then we moved to livestock. Then we moved to land. Then we moved to people. And the land and people were kind of the same step. The last thing that came in the kingdom is what he's willing to let go now. It's almost like a reversal of the process, isn't it? But he says, don't take your wives and, and children. Hmm. Look at the next one. This is in 10.24. Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. Moses' response, by the way, is not a hoof will be left. Before we get to the next one, I want you to get this. When you come to Jesus, one of the first ways that you show your sincerity when you pledge your whole life is you begin to show it even with your finances. Because a man can't serve two things. He cannot serve God and money. So one of the ways that you begin showing God that you love Him is through your finances. It moves from there to not just your finances, but everything you own. Then it moves even to the level that your own children belong to God and you recognize it in every area of your life. So much so that your very body you consider a slave to His will. That is being 100% all in in the kingdom. The devil is working to keep us from getting to what God wants 100% of the time. Eric, if you want to go serve God, that's fine. But look, it's not good for, for your family to be so fanatical about this. I mean, just let them be. Anybody ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Yes. Where's Christian's family? It's a good question. Where are Christian's family? Apparently back at home. If he can't stop you from going, he wants to stop your possessions, your family, all of that around you. If he can't stop every person in your house from going to do God's will, what does he want to do next? Okay, well, y'all go pledge your devotion to the Lord. Set out and follow him, but don't use any of your resources for him. I mean, after all, you've got to live, right? Really? How long? How long are your resources going to take you without God's blessing? It is amazing. The people that never get their finances right, never have their finances right. The ones that never begin to show trust in God in that area are the same ones that were in trouble a decade ago and they'll be in trouble a decade from now because your resources will never take you through the family. But I have watched even children 
begin to get this area of their life right and seeing God's blessing in every area. Isn't that an amazing principle? We get to the place where Pharaoh has seen firstborn dying everywhere. And he says, look, your wives, you, your children, everything you have. And look, by the way, here's a bunch of Egyptian gold and stuff. Just go. I am encouraging you to have an exodus mentality. I'm, have, I'm encouraging you to let no area of your life, starting with you, moving to your children, moving to your property, and arriving at your money, to be outside of Joseph or Jesus' control. I'm urging you to examine every area of your life and say, Lord, it is the devil fights every step of this. What area of my life needs to be resubmitted to you? And do it. And when we are all in... He who gathers little will not have too little. And he who gathers much will not have too much because God will rain the appropriate amount into every person's life. When you need healing, it will arrive. When you need an answer from God, it will arrive. But let me ask you, if you had the masses that were loving you and were serving you, where would you give your attention? the ones that were about 50% committed or the ones that were 100% committed. Now go take your Bible concordance and look for the words wholehearted. The Spirit of the Lord is ranging the earth, searching for those who are wholeheartedly committed that He might strengthen them. Because when you are wholeheartedly invested in the kingdom, you have nothing but the Lord's strength. You are not leaning on your money, your property, your friends, your family, or even your own arm. It is simply all Jesus. And He strengthens you because you belong to Him. I've come to the stark conclusion that many times the reason we're not seeing the dramatic move of God is because we don't dramatically belong to God. We only belong to Him in the convenient areas. I'm telling you, I do not want that to be you. I do not want that to be me. In every area, I would rather make my mistakes by being sold out for Him than retaining something for me. If that's our attitude, how can we go wrong? He has all the provision anyway. And if you take my words and turn them into a prosperity message... Shame on you. The only thing that will truly prosper in the kingdom is your obedience to the king of the universe. I'm not interested in bigger barns. I'm interested in bigger anointing. I'm interested in more of him and less of me. But if I am completely honest, all my flesh wants to do is protect what's here, if not grow it. I'm working against that trend. How about you? I've read this story and I don't know how many times I've taught Genesis. I have never in my life seen the way in which Joseph earned the servitude of the entire world. And when they first called him Savior, was not until everything they owned, including their lives, belonged to him. Oh, how I wish it were that way now. If no one called Jesus Savior, unless everything in their life belonged to him, how much clearer would things be? But we've learned to call Him Savior when nearly nothing in our lives belonged to Him. Wouldn't it be nice to change that? Well, how do you change it? 
I read you the quote Sunday. The door of history swings on the hinges of ordinary men's lives that make extraordinary decisions. Make an extraordinary decision tonight. Look for some area of your life that you know good and well doesn't belong to Him and submit it to Him in such a radical way that it hurts your flesh. And if it doesn't hurt, you hadn't dug deep enough. The simple, sincere, sacrificial truth sets men free. I've been telling you that since the last week in December, and I'm going to tell you that as long as I'm alive. Simple, sincere, sacrificial. If we do these things, God will give us everything that we need. Y'all stand to your feet. Exodus 12.32, Pharaoh actually looked at Moses and said, Take it all and go. Whatever the devil puts his hands on in my life, I believe that because I belong to Jesus, God will put his hand upon the devil so heavily that he will invite me to leave. Not try to hold me captive. You know that Exodus 12 says the hand of the Lord was in judgment on the gods of Egypt. So much so that their spokesperson said, take it all and leave. Saints, when we draw a clear distinction between us and the world, when we truly stand for God, the devil won't be trying to seduce you. He will be trying to get away from you. Because you will possess all the power of Pharaoh working through Joseph in your life. All of it. It'll be as if you spoke and the very word of Joseph who was speaking for Pharaoh came right through you. What a good feeling that would be. Let's get destitute for him. <coughs> Let's get desperate for him and see if he doesn't meet us in our needs. Amen? Amen. Join hands. Holy Father, Lord, we are daring to endeavor to embark upon a new kind of faith. One that is radical. It's not new to you, but I confess, sadly, it's new to me. Lord, too often I have played it safe. Too often I have spoken boldly and lived cowardly. Well, Holy One, I repent before you tonight. And I invite my church to repent before you tonight. Because we want to be 100% invested in your kingdom so that 100% of your kingdom flows through us. Lord, we will not seek after money. We will not seek after livestock over properties. We will not seek after even the salvation of our own physical bodies. Instead, we go ahead and give them all to you now. We pledge our very life to you that we might take hold of life that is really life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Sunday... I had a clap there. That's better than throwing a hymnal at me. <laughs> Sunday, y'all come here. Don't anybody stay home. None of you play hooky. None of you be sick. None of you let anybody else be sick. Lay hands on. Anoint with oil. Drag, push, pull, whatever it is, just like a car salesman. Get in the house of God. Matthew has a word that you need. If you didn't need it, God wouldn't have called you to this church. Don't let me come back and find out 50% of the church wasn't here because I will be counseling you and having to tell you what you should have heard from Matthew. 
And I don't want to do it. So you learn all that the man of God has to speak. And if you really love the Lord, get up a little early and pray for me. Amen? Because I don't know how that's going to go. It's going to go good. But I know what I'm going to do. I don't know how it's going to go, but I do know what I'm going to do. And I am uh, going to borrow a couple people here that I believe are supposed to walk in that same anointing. Just a couple. And if the hymnals begin to fly, I'm going to hide behind them. In the event of a stoning, form a human shield around your fearless leader. What's that, Matthew? Look at that verse. They tried to lay hold of him and kill him, but it wasn't this time yet. Amen. I'm all for that. Actually, I have a hostile in the morning and a friendly in the evening. So that's that's easy. Work will be over by lunch. Hey, our messages have been hard. They're not the kind that everybody runs and says, oh, I'm a champion and bless me. I get it. Okay, That's intentional. Hard preaching and hard living produces righteousness. I praise you for this thing. I can see in your eyes you're beginning to learn to like it. You know, hit me again. Hit me again. I want to encourage you that you're in the kind of company that King David was. You consider it an oil and a kindness when a righteous man strikes you. I would rather be stricken now with a righteous man's blow than I would later find myself having missed the mark and the great company of a horde that simply said, Bless me. And they never knew the Lord. Amen? Amen. Come on, y'all. All right. That's all i got to say about that.